Christmas is one of those times that is a loaded kind of occasion. It has all kinds of memories in it for us and anticipation and things that we expect, things we look forward to, all those kinds of things. So I thought it was appropriate to talk tonight about secretaries. <laughs> I've had the privilege of uh, working with, um, I think I counted five secretaries over uh, the years I've worked in the church. And a couple of them have been absolutely brilliant, including the one I have now, I must say. And the ones who have been brilliant and so helpful to me are the ones who have helped cover my, I'm sorry, I'm going to have to say this, I know it will shock you, my faults. <laughs> I know you can't imagine I have any, but it's true. So I have said to my secretaries, one of the things I really need from you is to help me because of the way my brain works. At least that's what I'm blaming it on. I don't remember generally to do things like thank people. Little things like that. And another thing that's been very helpful is when they have helped me track what kinds of things are supposed to be going on to make sure I don't miss an, an appointment or an engagement or something I'm supposed to do. And to have that kind of um, sharing in ministry has been an incredible blessing. And so I truly appreciate the value of having a secretary, someone who kind of covers the lack that's there, to keep things on track, to help keep the direction going the right way. So for me, it makes sense. But what happens if you're perfect? <laughs> I'm not talking about me, of course, or probably not anyone else in this room. But why would you point someone to that sort of position if you don't need it? I was really struck by this in reading this evening's passage from the prophet Isaiah. Isaiah says, I have put, the Lord said through Isaiah, I have put sentinels on your walls all day and all night. They shall never be silent. But if you read the context from chapter 62 of Isaiah, you discover this is not because there are enemies surrounding the city. These aren't sentinels who are there looking for trouble. Instead, what happens when you read the next verse, what is their job? You who remind the Lord, take no rest, and give Him no rest until He establishes Jerusalem and makes it renowned throughout the earth. God has appointed people whose job it is to pester Him until things come to pass. As I looked at this, I thought, why would the Lord do that? The scriptures say He never forgets. He is always faithful. If he says he's going to do something, he does it. In fact, also in Isaiah it says, The word that I speak shall accomplish that which I purpose. And what I send it out for will happen. So the Lord doesn't need a reminder in order for something to happen. So why would God appoint sentinels? People whose job it is to stand before him day and night and remind him continually of what he's promised. Actually, the answer is fairly simple. He's dealing with humans. It wouldn't probably occur to us that we should continually cry out to him. Would we gather people together and appoint someone and say, okay, look, your whole job in life is to come before God day and night and say, remember, Lord, what you said. No, our instinct is probably to grumble about not seeing it. <coughs> 
instead of coming before him. So God provided for what we wouldn't even think of it. But there's actually even something behind that. God was putting something in front of the people that was so important that they should never, ever let go of it. And those who are there to cry out to God constantly aren't going to forget it, are they? It keeps the promise in front of the people. It keeps the Lord's might in front of the people. God said, what I'm about to tell you is so significant that this must stay in front of you daily, hourly, minute by minute until you see it come to pass. And what is this incredible thing? The Lord has proclaimed to the ends of the earth, Say to daughter Zion, see your salvation comes. His reward is with him and his recompense before him. These shall be called the holy people, the redeemed of the Lord. And you shall be called sought out, a city not forsaken. God said, my salvation is coming. And until you receive it, until you encounter it, until you live it, don't stop holding it up. Continue to cry out before me. And the day came. We run into this beautiful passage from Luke, a very familiar passage that we've read over and over again. As I read this, I thought it's there's a remarkable thing. Many churches tonight, and, or at some point in this week going by, will have a pageant. And at the pageant, all the cute little kids are coming, and some of them remember their lines, most don't. There's always that cute one who chases after mutton. There's always the things that tip over, and that's half the fun, is what's actually going to happen compared to what you practice. But we have this incredible imagery of all the little kids, and Mary and Joseph in the crash, and the baby Jesus, a real one, or a doll, or whatever it is. And then most of the kids are shepherds or somebody and they all line up and we give all this time and attention and then there's this brief line about how the shepherds came. If you read Luke's gospel that we just heard, Luke spends exactly two verses talking about Jesus' birth and about 12 talking about the shepherds. Our pageants invert what's the significant part. Luke tells us what he's learned about Jesus' birth. He has a bunch of verses saying how they got to Bethlehem because they're from Nazareth. So he describes these things. He locates it all in history for us. Gives us a time frame of when these events occurred. And then he said, well, Joseph went to Bethlehem because that's where his family's from. And Mary went with him because they're engaged and she's pregnant. He couldn't exactly leave her at home. Plus they're together. And the time came for her to have a baby and she did. And then he wrapped them up in cloths. Meanwhile, there's shepherds. Shepherds are taking care of their flock at night. Now, shepherds, understand, are not exactly the highest stratum of the society. They're working folk who were almost an afterthought in society. These guys are out there with the sheep, and all of a sudden an angel appears to them, and the usual things happen when angels show up. They're terrified. The glory of the Lord appears and they can't even, they can't stand it. They're filled with fear. The angel says, don't be afraid. The reason I'm here is because I have this incredible message for you. 
For tonight in the city of David, in Bethlehem, a Savior is born to you. The Messiah has come. And here's the sign. Go and check it out. He's there. And then the, suddenly there's this huge army. The Greek word is actually an army of angels. Appears giving glory to God. And they rush to see what has happened. Luke thinks it is so important for us to hear this as opposed to what did the manger look like? How many people were there? Who showed up? When they showed up? Was there cats and dogs? Was there animals? Luke doesn't care. But he cares very deeply about the message that went to the shepherds. God himself made sure the announcement happened. You catch the pattern? God himself said, you need sentinels. You need intercessors who will cry out to me until the promise is fulfilled. God himself appears to the shepherds, well, his angels. God takes care of them. What is it that they say? It's here. The time has come. What was promised to Isaiah about salvation coming? Go to Bethlehem. It's here. It has arrived. God has acted. Salvation has come to you. This is awesome news. So they rushed down to see it. Paul summarizes this in his letter to Titus. Titus is one of um, Paul's associates. And he had been dispatched to Crete to take care of the church. Very brief, this, here's the gospel for you in a nutshell. When the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, i.e. Jesus was born, He saved us not because of any works of righteousness that we had done, but according to His mercy through the water of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit. This Spirit He poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that having been justified by His grace, we may, might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. God did something. And the summary of it is because Jesus appeared, we can be justified. And by being baptized, we can enter into a new journey and become heirs of hope. We enter a new life, we become a new creation. And we press on to the inheritance that has been promised to us. The inheritance mentioned in Isaiah. It's interesting this time of year as you listen to what is Christmas all about. Beautiful sign. I don't know if you ever go to Uncle Bubba's. At Uncle Bubba's right now, there's a sign on the wall. You know, from here, Uncle Bubba's is a restaurant over there. Jesus is the reason for the season. Marvelous thing to have a, a reminder. But it's interesting as we think, what is the reason for the season? And even on Christian radio and things, we hear... It's time for family. It's a time to be thankful. Yes, absolutely. It's a time to give. Yep. Sure. It's a time to give back. Yep. It's time to remember God's message of peace. Yep. We should. Or, on serious radio right now, there's another message that if you buy from one particular company, you'll win Christmas. In other words, it's about giving gifts so that, ha, ha you look so good. 
All those things have some measure of truth in them. That's not the point of Christmas at all. The point of Christmas is that God entered into our sinful brokenness, took on our humanity completely. He became incarnate, enfleshed. And because He became one of us, we have His righteousness given to us. And it's one of those things that if it was an advertisement, it would say, but wait, there's more. Paul tells Titus that he pours out his Holy Spirit on us. That he fills us with his presence. It's not just merely a looking back to something that God did back then that we're thankful for. It's something that continues now. And it's not a looking forward to someday when I die, I look forward to. As God says, I have taken hold of you, that you may become mine, that you may experience me, that you would live with me. The incarnation you see, Christmas is the beginning of the invasion. God entered a broken, lost, sinful world with the powerful presence of His own very self. He went to the cross and died. He rose again on the third day. He is alive. And because of these things, everything has changed. So yes, we're thankful. Yes, we think about peace. Yes, we give gifts. Yes, we enjoy our families. Yes, we bless them. Yes, we have sentimental feelings. Those things are all marvelous. But that's not the point. The point is that the living God came so that we might be alive in Him. But wait, there's more. Let's go back to the beginning. Not Genesis, but Isaiah. <laughs> I have posted sentinels all day and all night, they shall never be silent. You who remind the Lord, take no rest, and give Him no rest until He establishes Jerusalem, and makes it renowned throughout the earth. Has God finished doing everything He said He was going to do? He has not. He's going to come back. There's more to come. We have yet to see the fulfillment of all His promises. Moreover, not every single person on this planet is saved. Not everyone knows Him. And that's God's heart. He says that. He does not desire the death of a sinner, but that all should be saved. And until every single person has heard the gospel and had a chance, an opportunity to respond, even if it takes 95,000 times, there's more. Until Jesus returns, there's more. And so what does that say about the sentinels? Their job is not finished. And as you continue to read through that passage, he says, go through, go through the gates. Prepare the way for the people. Build up, build up the highway, cleared of stones, lift up an ensign over the peoples. So these sentinels, these intercessors, have a job not just to say to God, you promised. But they're to go through the gates. What gates? The gates of the holy city. To go into the very presence of God. To lead the way in worship and prayer. <clears throat> to show the way so that somebody can go along with them. 
and see what it is to be in the very presence of Almighty God. They're to build up the road, clear it of stones, and lift up the, the sign, the end sign, to make it easy, to take away obstacles. God has called us, given us a share in this. That we participate in this preparing of the way. God has asked his people to continue to pray, proclaim the gospel until he returns, until he comes back. And he's given us some directions about how to do it. To intercede, to pray, to remind God of what he's done. Because that reminds us of who he is and keeps our focus on his promises to us. There's more. To tell people that end of that passage from chapter 62. Your name. Your true name. The reality of who you are. Your identity can be this. Holy. Have you ever conceived of that as an adjective for your own self? That's what Isaiah says. God says. His desire is that we be holy people. We can't get there on our own, so God came and brought it to us. Holy, set aside, the place where God resides, the place where His glory rests. That's your name. And it's a name for anybody who would come to Him. The redeemed of the Lord. Paid for, set free. Made new. Sought out. You matter. Somebody looked for you. You're not forgotten. You're not forsaken. What a message to speak to broken hearts. And I can tell you, there are a lot of people that that's the reminder they hear at this Christmas season. It's the pain and the brokenness in their heart. So to anyone who's here, for whom Christmas isn't exactly the best day of the year, it can be. Not because of all the hoopla. Not because of the dinners and the presents and all that stuff. Because God sought you up. He knows you by name. He came to get you. And He's not finished with you. You are invited tonight to receive His grace and His love. And if you know His grace and His love, you are asked, compelled, commanded by your God to take it out with you and give it away. To take stones off the road. Go in front of people and make the way easy. We get, we get to share the grace of God with people who so desperately need it. And that's what Christmas is about. The incarnation of our God. The kingdom of God has invaded the earth. And there's sin and brokenness all over the place. But the battle's won. Because God became one of us. That's why we celebrate. That's why we're here. Let us pray. Amen.
Gracious God, I am again reminded of how ineffective my words are, conveying your grace, your glory, and your majesty, and your power. So Holy Spirit, I pray that you would come and that you would speak it directly into our hearts. Lord, pour into us your grace. Lord, I pray for each person who is feeling broken, downhearted, that you would pour in the joy that only comes from you and from your presence. Thank you that you give it freely to us. Lord, I pray for release of your healing grace and power among us. Lord, we ask that you would use us as the intercessors on the walls. Lord, we don't know how to build up the road and take away the stones, but you do. And just as you've always taken the initiative, Lord, we give ourselves into your hands and say, just show us what to do. Give us the hearts to follow. Thank you, Lord, that you became one of us so that we might be joined with you. Lord, we worship you tonight. We praise you for who you are and for what you've done. And we ask you to fill our celebrations of Christmas because it is truly all about you, because of you, and for you. In Jesus' name.